Live at the Acropolis. We're back. Yes. That's right. Episode 28. Is that right, Jeff? That's right. Man, where's, where have we been yeah, forever? Sorry about that absence. Well, we're going to talk about that, where have we been this whole time, and uh, we're going to start getting into some, some new uh, session topics as far as this goes. But uh, as always, brought to you by Alpha Counseling and Treatment. Alpha is the largest and most respected provider for the justice of all clients in need of sexual offense-specific treatment services. We have an update for you guys on that as well. Um, we're a JRI-certified agency, provide uh, cognitive behavioral interventions for sex offenders, as well as moral recognition therapy and substance use disorder treatment to all of your justice-involved clients. So you'll appreciate the outstanding quality and the care you receive at Alpha. Anything else we got to say about that? Solid intro to bring us back. Okay, let's hear it. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, where we start, uh, dude? I think we start with you telling us the story as to why it's been so long since. Uh, yeah. Since what happened? Gone. What oh. happened with your, like, your irresponsible uh, unlocking of your vehicle? Not oh yeah, I forgot business. about that. Yeah. So yeah. I, no. Yeah. Someone decided to unlock my car with a rock or a brick <laughs> or something, and then borrowed all of our podcast equipment. Yeah. So that got stolen. What was that like? October. Yeah. September? Yeah, right. Had to have been right after the last episode. Yeah, yeah everything got ripped say, off out of had the car. September. Yeah. Yeah. So that that started off our hiatus. Dude, I wonder if it was cuz last cuz last uh our last podcast had a guest, right? Yep. Was Villains so. to Victory. Yeah. He probably followed you home and <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> Back I'm, to villain. No. <laughs> I'm kidding, Chris. I'm kidding. Uh, that, that was our last one. Wow. Yeah, that was. That was a long time ago. But you know what what really sucked was is it wasn't just it wasn't just that you had, like, we got that stolen, but also, like, <laughs> the mics that we had to buy, we bought these new mics, and they were on back order for, like, forever, for 10 years, yeah. and then all, <laughs> all of a sudden, we had to, yeah, they, they sent them to us, so that was the only way we were able to get this, but that's kind of the story. It's not too, not too, uh, not too fancy is the reasons why we weren't here. Well, that, and we've well, been we were prison. really busy. Oh, yeah, yeah we were in that as well, so... Um, so Alpha Counseling was awarded the uh, contract for the uh, for the Utah State Prison, and we're actually providing the uh, intensive inpatient treatment there for the sex offender population there at Promontory and uh, what are the other buildings? Olympus, all the mountain, Timpanogos, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, how's that, that how do they designate that? So if it's in Gunnison, trees. it's trees, Is right? It trees? Yeah. It's trees, yeah, yeah, ochres, and then. Uh, no, that's Wait, no, that's no, a mountain. Oakers yeah, Oakers, yeah. Uwintas, Olympus, Wachat, Wasatch, Timpanogos, Lone Peak. Oh, that's right. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Okay. I just go to Promontory and hang out all day. That's all I do. <laughs> Promontory <laughs> sounds like like uh, like that uh, Purgatory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like that's that. I don't think of a mountain. Was that yeah. Washington County Jail or <laughs> Iron County Jail yeah. Purgatory? I'm like, oh, it's like geez. isolation. Yeah. <laughs> Close to the devil. We're not doing too bad, though. I was just looking at that. So, what we've been off for like two months, almost three. Yeah, we're still almost at twenty thousand downloads, twenty thousand listeners. Man, you know what? So we're fl- still like, doing all right. It, it's been flat. I, I, I've had a a few clients uh, harass me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's probably listening to this right now? I can't say your name, but you know who you are. Appreciate you constantly being on me about making sure we get this podcast up and going, and then. 
again, some of the probation officers, they, I, I don't know if it's good, but they, they use these for training. Oh, so. it's good. <laughs> yeah. It's good. No, I was looking at that right now. Like, we still had, like, pretty consistent downloads every day. Even oh, even we, though that we weren't. Yeah. Okay. Every day we had quite a few. Yeah, oh, that's so, good. That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah. You guys missed us. I know. I yeah. Good now. That's right. Dude, all we, do, we got to do is get, like, more downloads than, like, Dirty John and and uh, Dirty and, John. And you haven't listened to that podcast? No, that's really Dirty good, Mike man. Boys. You haven't <laughs> listened to Dirty John? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Boys. Dirty John. Oh, look at that spider by you, Justin. Oh, wow, Holy that sh- thing is awesome. Oh, wow, God. that thing is way cool. Yeah. That's legit. There's Just a spider repelling right by it. my. Wow, that's part of the adventure. Yeah, we're in Ogden. But spiders yeah. are just known in Ogden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what they say about Ogden. There's no Salt Lake spider. All those arachnids. Dude, that's a legit spider. You haven't wow. you haven't listened to like Dirty John or Doctor Death either of those? No, what is They're that? really good. You I've should heard the name Doctor Death. No, you should know. like uh, do like comic books. Yes, it's comic books. Dirty asshole. And <laughs> no, Death? tell me that doesn't sound like comic books. I guess that does. does. Yeah. I guess that does. But um, no, no, no. You should. You should. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> This guy's crawling towards me. This spider's going to get you, man. I like him, though. Obviously, I'm not giving him a free plug. I'm just saying those are really good podcasts, like Dirty John and, and uh, there's Dr. De- and there's other. I don't like know. Don't you show. listen to some lame podcasts? Yeah, that's all I listen to is lame ones. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's like mainly for It's a category, huh? It's yeah. lame podcasts. You, you just type in lame <laughs> podcasts. Yeah, like, looks like I'm not listening to Dirty John. It's not nearly lame enough. Dude, well, that makes me think of prison. I have to like really be careful with that word, lame. Oh, I know. Punk. Yeah. Because I say oh, punk that's true. all the time. Dude, explain the PBLs. Oh, yeah, so I don't punk, say I don't say punk. And punk, I, lame, and I hardly bitch. ever say bitch. Like, that's just a weird word. But, but I use punk as, like, a joking thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's kind of being a punk. Yeah. And then they're like, what? I say lame all the time, though. Pull up. Yeah. 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 I mean, a pull up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those are, like, the three words you cannot call anyone. PBL, in son. Prison. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you get bitch in trouble and punk kind of have the same connotation. Uh, lame. It, and again, lame. It's not like you're you're being lame. It's it's a you noun. are a lame. Like you're yeah. a, a lame. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've said punk a few times in groups. It's kind of funny the look I get. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's I like can't say you, that in here. It's like when you say a swear word in elementary school, everyone yeah. gets quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All these all these uh, dudes are hardened. Whatever they've been locked down for. Whatever you say, the word lame, and everyone cringes. Oh, yeah, God. it is kind of weird, yeah, but it, it is kind of lame. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> lame, guys. Get it. Yeah. Well, no, we're pretty excited to be in there. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely a change of pace for us because we haven't. I mean, we're just not used to that system yet. But I, I think I don't know. I feel like way better about it now. Oh, On yeah, the first too. first month, I was like, wait, what? Getting used just, to it. Yeah, you just didn't know what you were doing. But <laughs> yeah. now it's starting to get a lot easier. I think so. It's going a lot better. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to get uh, Ryan. He's doing those too. We need to get him in here as a guest. Ryan would be a good guest. Good old Ryan Stokes. I mean, so. I know at the jail we're used to lockdown, having worked at Weaver County, but did, like, was it ominous at all for either of you guys going through six different gates before yeah, a little you weird. get to a client? And not knowing where I am or where I'm supposed to go and like, if it's okay to even ask, like, am I in the right spot? Yeah, it took a little getting used to. Yeah. Yeah, like... And then, like the, it almost felt like, <laughs> like when you're first walking in, it almost felt like a code to a video game. You're like, so open that door, and then wait till that one closes, then badge this one. Yeah. But this one you can open when that one's open. I'm like, what? Feels like Tomb Raider. How do, how do you remember yeah. all this? Yeah, it's like yeah. cracking the code to get back to your session. Yeah. Have either of you guys plotted how you would escape if you were an inmate? I just kind of figured you can't. No. Yeah. No, I look it, at all that really stuff. Like, there's no That's way. I, yeah. No. There's, there's no, no way. way. Yeah. I was thinking like I'm I'm a pretty smart guy I could figure it out and nah nope nope I'd be yeah there's down. literally no yeah. way and that that uh, razor wire is pretty sharp 
yeah, you get annihilated. Right. So yeah, don't do that. Don't escape, yeah. guys. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I mean, before this before this started, the three of us were kind of trying to figure out what we'd uh, talk about, and we're gonna. We're going to jump right in and talk about the CBISO curriculum, cognitive behavioral interventions for sex offenders. We've we had a old Jamie Newsom, yeah, Grusom. Jamie Newsom, yeah, she was one of our one of our podcast guests, right? Yeah, we were actually going to record with her if Justin hadn't got his shit stolen out of his car. That's so super <laughs> awesome. Yeah, the lovely Jamie Newsom was here, and she did some uh, training with us. Now we're actually trainers, and we're probably going to be training um, all of our all of our clinicians on this, and so. Um, yeah, this is kind of a, we're going to be talking about some of the concepts as far as what we do in here and, and, um, going over these in terms of, uh, the type of interventions, a lot of this stuff, the cognitive behavioral interventions, I mean, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy has been around for a very long time. It's nothing necessarily that's new, but, um, the way that it's organized for them is, is actually really good. And so we're going to be talking about some of the concepts just in general of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, so We'll be. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I think it was during that training, Jamie was saying that, you know, like most programs will say that they're doing cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, like, again, if you ask any probably treatment provider in the state, what's the, you know, kind of what's the theoretical model that you guys run from? And I mean, pretty much everybody's going to say cognitive behavioral yeah. therapy, but is, are, is it. The, I guess the question that may be a bit rhetorical is everybody actually doing cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy? And I don't know. It's uh, ma- ma- maybe not the way that it's meant to be done, though. It's uh, and, and maybe that's why we're talking about this. You mm-hmm. know, there's I, I can think back to early in my career. And I mean, I, I don't know this. It's, it's, I'm, I'm almost like ashamed of how horrible I was at being a therapist, <laughs> honestly, like as far as like what I accepted as like good clinical work. How horrible you were? <laughs> or you're going to be. <laughs> or are. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm, I am a top notch. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, um, it's, I I mean, I, I've kind of always vaguely been aware and taught clients you know, that, you know, if they want to feel better about things or change the way they act to work on their thinking. But I, I don't think I've ever really made a real concerted effort to break it down in, in, in the way that this uh, CBISO module does. It's worth doing. And, you know, all of us, we've we've been doing this the past year and a half. And, yeah, like Mace was saying, now we're trainers. Yeah. No, it's, I, I'm really excited because that's going to be good for our clinicians to kind of being able to go over these things too. So, um, and understanding a little bit more about this. So, um, you know, the one thing about that I was kind of fascinated about all this stuff was, um, when we get into, when we get into, okay, like learning, okay, what are the cognitive behavioral concepts? I, I learned a lot about like, what are, what are some things that are traditional to sex offender treatment that just don't even make, make any difference anymore. Right. Like, um, the, so anybody who's listening to this, you know, like denial is a really big piece. And we've talked about this before, but it's nice to hear this backed up by, you know, a lot of researchers and people who are much more intelligent than me because the denial piece they kind of talk about that is just really has no bearing on whether a client's going to be successful or not as far as the treatment goes. And, um, and I mean, it's just good to hear because we've been messing with that. I've always kind of felt kind of weird about that because yeah. it's, you know, but it's good to be able to hear it. And then, um, the way they kind of described that, I I really appreciated it because it was it was said as like um, 
you know, like, uh, you know, you can't. So if a person's denying their offense, well, yeah, that's that doesn't sound good. None of us like that. Right. But honestly, what can you do to go back and fix it? I mean, unless you have a time machine, what are you going to do? Well, yeah, because the thought is if if he says the words, he admits it and takes accountability, then his treatment will be effective. Like Like it can't be effective unless that's the very first step. And. I, I thought along those lines for a long time. I mean, there's even still times where I have like this slight, like, he's still got to, mm-hmm. well, but it, it, it just doesn't matter. It still feels, yeah. I, again, it's it's one of those things that just I just have to get over how I think it might feel to have a client take accountability and, okay, yeah, this guy gets it now versus like what, what the research actually bears out. It, mm-hmm. it, it So like you were saying, Mace, it, it's weird to get to the point where it's like, really though? Like we really, we really don't have to, uh, spend our, you know, put all our eggs in one basket with that. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah, having that validated is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and well, basically, I I, I think uh, Jamie said it really well. She said, um, "Well, you don't. I mean, you can't really measure that at all. I mean, they're either saying that or they're not. The only thing you can really measure, as far as what you're looking at, is behaviors moving forward. Are they taking accountability for current behaviors that are happening on a week by week basis in your, you know, individual and group therapy?" And then measuring behavioral change thereafter, which I was like, okay, that makes way more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those type, those are the type of things that that and like the whole empathy piece too, which was a big deal. We're gonna get around to that in one of our lessons eventually, going through some of those things. So, but um, so one of the things uh, that we wanted to talk about today was kind of uh, talking about reasons why people resist. Right? Is that what we we're gonna talk about? Yeah. Yeah. So this was. Um, I guess kind of the point behind this, one of these, this topic is uh, we just try to, one of the things we try to teach clients is that, you know, resistance is common and especially when clients are coming into what would be considered mandated treatment. In other words, if my APMP agent or, uh, you know, board of pardons and parole or, or, or whatever entity is referring you to this, um, resistance is really common and, you know, they may not want to be there. Um, you know, they, they'll say, I don't really need to be going through any of these things. And, um, you know, the, it's, it's at that point, it kind of rubs you the wrong way as a clinician and as a facilitator of this group. And at that point, sometimes you might think, okay, well, you're being resistant to this. So because of that, we might not let you come into this group because then you're not going to make any changes. Right. That big amenability word gets thrown around a lot. Right. People don't initially want to come in. The statement is all, well, you're not being, you're not amenable to treatment. Right. Which I would, I would argue a little bit on that because if it's mandated treatment, the times that I worry more is when a client right out of the gate says like, is, is like, I, I really need to be here. This is, this is the only thing that's going to save me, and you know all the rest. Got to hurry and get this done. Well, because I'm like, I'm like, okay, at least the other guy who's saying this is stupid, or you know, I I don't need this or something like that. At least that person's being honest with me. You feel people that come in saying they need a lot of help might not be as genuine. Maybe not, and it doesn't feel as genuine either. I think there maybe they know that if they don't say the right thing, if they don't tell me what I want to hear then at times they might think, I'm not going to get admitted to this program, which could eventually lead to like a time cut or something else, right? So there are incentives for doing something like that in an institution or a halfway house or in the community. Like in order to be done with treatment, I mean, I have to start attending, right? So I got I to say the right thing. Um, but I, 
I think the person who's, uh, I mean, they're sitting in my office after all, and they're saying this to me, and I, and I can validate the fact that even though what they're telling me is probably true because they're saying my program's bullshit, but they're sitting in my office. So at least they had the wherewithal to walk through the door and sit down in my office. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if, if that's not motivation, I don't know what is. Now, granted, nobody likes hearing that they're, you know, that what they're doing is nonsense and the client doesn't want to be there. But um, I think that I can still validate the fact that they're being honest and resistance, I think, is normal. We should expect it working with this client population. I'm okay with it. It, It's, uh, I mean, in... Uh, I think one of you just got through saying it's a little off-putting maybe when they dig their heels in mm-hmm. a little bit but like on like at if if I were having to come into treatment and I was told to go in I mean it really would be kind of like a decision it's like, okay do I go in there and just try to shine this guy on and have him you know maybe think that I'm have have it all squared together or you know do I let him know how I really feel and I, I mean no, no one likes to think that the way they're doing things isn't good. You know, no one likes to think that they're off base. And um, I don't, I don't, th- I don't think people liked. Generally, they're resistant to change. And then when you have the when you have the legal system and the weight of the world coming down, you telling me that you're that you need to fix something about yourself. It's pretty insulting, probably. Well, yeah, and I think the like Mace is talking about. You know, when someone comes in right out of the gate even though they're there kind of saying this is stupid, I don't want to do it. I think on some level they're kind of expecting this like, what? No. And you're going to put your, your foot down and kind of rail them for it. Oh, I'm going to get you in trouble. I'm going to tell your PO you're not, you're not taking your treatment seriously. I think you're sending the message to that person right out of the gate. Don't be honest. Do not tell the truth in your treatment because it's going to get you in trouble. I know for me, like when I get those guys, I'm sure you guys hang out the same way. I almost just kind of treat it like a non-issue. Like, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, that's cool. Like, I don't even feed into that argument, especially right out of the gate. I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it, man. Yeah, that's got to be frustrating. It almost just kills it right then. Do you think they're they're testing you? Like like they're they're coming in hot uh, trying to see how you respond to it? Could be, or, or maybe just kind of yeah, expecting that. Like I know I got to come in guns blazing, and it could be a test because I, I think for me, when I don't play into it, they almost not not always, but they almost kind of give it up. Like they kind of rant, they get it off their chest, and then I think they feel validated. Like no. oh okay, he he can kind of see parts of it I don't like too. He he sees things my way, so maybe I'll open up a little bit. Most of the time, they end up kind of letting it go. But I think like the guys I have where I I catch myself getting like a little like on edge about it and I kind of confront them. It feels like they just dig in more. Like, and they're like, oh yeah, see, he's supposed to tell me I need this. That's his job. And you immediately but when you kind of side with him a little. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. They almost they almost just kind of drop it. Yeah, I don't know necessarily. I think that's a really good technique. I mean, that's, that's kind of the motivational interviewing type of rolling with the resistance type piece. I mean, you don't necessarily need to. I, the idea there is the worst thing to do is just show counter resistance to mm-hmm. that, okay? Because, I mean... Yes. They're not going to change their mind. Well, I mean, you if you're in if I'm in a position where like I have the authority over the group or the program, I can certainly tell you you can't come in, right? And then I'm going to lay that down. But then I, I run a risk because then what I'm teaching that person is they're going to probably probably reapply for my group or or to another group and then I'm teaching them, "Okay, don't be honest about how you feel about this. Mm-hmm. Tell them something different. So start off your treatment you know, being dishonest about this because you want to make that person happy and you want to tell them what they want to hear. And in in other words, we're like giving them permission to manipulate us, you know, just because there's a certain sequence of words we want to hear out of their mouth before we let them in. When in reality, if I just take a breath and don't take that personal and just recognize that, okay, 
you know, given the circumstances this guy's in, maybe he truly thinks that way and he's just voicing his opinion, his honest opinion about this. And that doesn't mean it's not going to change six months from now. Mm. I mean, if six months from now the guy is still choosing to to take the the route of this is you know this is stupid i don't want to be here and all the rest of it and he's not doing his treatment or anything like that okay now we have a different story at that point like at that point maybe we can make the case for well risk is just either maintaining or continuing to increase because of his lack of engagement and we can get him out but initially i mean yeah i think resistance is perfectly normal in forensic treatment yeah it should be there so I don't know if you guys have noticed this. This I think this is kind of a am I motivational interviewing concept. But if I'm on the fence about changing something, just myself, if I'm ambivalent about changing a given thing, and then somebody that's maybe trying to talk me into changing starts supplying me with reasons as to why I should change, it's like I catch myself playing the devil's advocate yeah. and arguing against the reasons they're, that they're giving me to change. So it's like, I might not even necessarily agree with my devil's advocate position. It's just like a natural thing in me that if, you know, if, if for instance, I was going to try to start a new weightlifting routine or whatever it is, and someone starts saying, this new, this new method is better because of X, Y, and Z. Like, if I'm on the fence about it, I naturally kind of drift towards uh, poking holes in the other person's uh, rationale trying to talk me into it. Mm-hmm. And, and I've noticed that same thing comes up with clients. Like, like for instance, let's say, a, you know, this tis the season, New Year's coming up. You know, people, you know, they might decide, ah, oh, maybe I should give up smoking. And, uh, you know, if they're on the fence about it, I, I've noticed that in the past when I've like supplied reasons for why it's good to quit smoking, you know, you know I'll bring up how it saves money. It's good for your health, this and that. Like, it, it's almost like when the client's ambivalent about it, they'll start arguing the counterpoint <laughs> as to why yeah. and the same thing for treatment. You know, like it's real easy to say like, well, you better show up or else you'll, you know, you'll, your PO might get mad or you know, this is a chance for you to work on you or whatever cheesy shit therapists say. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I, I think the clients naturally will dig their heels in a little bit, especially if they're ambivalent. Again, if their mind isn't quite made up on it and you start trying to real come in heavy with the sales pitch as to why they should do a given thing, they're naturally going to argue the counterpoint. I do it. Do you, I mean, do you guys do that? Do you guys oh, get yourself sure. doing it yourself? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's, like it's like natural. Just, yeah, it's a built-in reaction to a lot yeah. of things. Like, even if you don't agree, sometimes you just naturally want to debate and I think especially when a client a client comes in and they're in that mode, like they're kind of aggressive about it. Like, oh, this is stupid. They're totally in debate mode. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't matter what you say unless you kind of agree with them because then they can't really debate that. Like, this is stupid. I don't think I need it. And you kind of say something to the fact, like, yeah, that's got to be hard. I mean, something you have to do. Dude, would you no, ever, it's easy. You're like, they're, they're would not you ever argue. try like reverse psychology though, bro? You know, yeah. like, yeah, you shouldn't come to treatment. Yeah. It sucks. You'll get nothing out stupid. of it. They're just like, well, okay, see minute. ya. <laughs> well, no, I am. <laughs> see, and that's, and yeah. that's definitely not the, the yeah. approach that you want to take, obviously. You yeah. do, but you don't, I think, directly opposing resistance is never a good idea yeah. either. I mean, you that that's kind of this idea when you're talking about am I if I roll with it and flow with it, like that's that turns it into way difference because it's like reluctance and ambivalence, those are not necessarily... Um, I'm not going to be opposing them. I'm going to acknowledge them and then uh, be natural to an understanding that those are there. Like that's, that's what Justin's talking about. And I don't, you know, I don't impose like what you're talking about. I don't try to impose new values or new goals, especially right out of the gate, but I just kind of invite them to consider new information and offer new perspectives. I'm not saying, well, I mean, it, I, that's just kind of a general thought on those things. Uh, I mean, I, I, like, 
you'd have I'd say if a client says something like that, I think like I I can validate their feelings and their thoughts. You know, like I can st- I can still acknowledge that yeah, this sounds like you don't want to be here. It sounds like this is really uncomfortable for you. Okay, but I I don't necessarily need to, and I'm not going to talk crap on the program and like you know validate them that way. I'm saying. I'm just going to offer them new perspectives on that. You don't have to feel obliged to like answer their objection to re, you know to resist. Yeah. Them. I don't. You don't need to do that. I'm saying, um, if I turn if I if I turn like a question or a problem back to them, and then you know rely on that on their personal resources to find like a solution to this all on their own. That that's where I empower them. Right. So I'm saying I'm saying like. Well, yeah, this is a problem for you. Like, what are we going to do about that? Like, you know, obviously you don't want to be here. So how are we going to make this work? You know, like, because you have to be here, right? So what are we going to get out of it? I want to make sure that our time spent together, you you acknowledge you have to be here because otherwise you wouldn't be here. How can we make that work for the two of us? How can I make it more meaningful for you? That sounds like that stuff we used to do when we'd teach those crisis intervention classes, how we'd make the, whatever the problem is, we'd make it a third person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's no longer me versus you. It's uh, me and you versus collective problems. So even though treatment, the very thing that, you know, you work for the agency, uh, you're kind of the face behind it. You, you're uh, you're like aligning with the client in tackling this problem of okay, how do I get up for an 18 month weekly uh, therapy program that I have to finance myself? Like okay, well it's no longer me versus you, the therapist. It's okay, I'm here anyway. What am I going to get out of this? Right. And the way you ask that brings that up. Well, and if they're that actively involves them in the problem-solving process too. So resistance, is, I think I, I, try, I try to tell clients too, like, you know, the term relapse, if we're working with our substance use clients, I try to educate them a little bit that relapse is just a medical term. It's just a return back to something that I'm trying to avoid, right? So if I have asthma, for example, if I have an asthma attack, that's a relapse, right? And if I have an asthma attack and I get, was given a medication, well, naturally, I'm going to go to the doctor and say, hey, this medication sucks. Can I have some new medication, right? So a relapse in substance use treatment is just an indication that I need to modify my treatment. That's it. Why do you explain it that way? Because I think that if you look at it as a relapse as this catastrophic event, as the end of all be all, you know, and, and I, it, it's my clean days are now gone. And I, I mean, that's another thing that really bugs me about that whole conversation is like consecutive clean days somehow are the gospel to, you know, the, yeah. the holy grail of your, of your it's recovery. It's not always the best indication of how well a client's doing. I don't think it's hardly any indication. No. I think clean days in and of themselves don't really make any changes. The function of clean days are to offer you the opportunity to make behavioral changes and environmental changes in your life so that your life is no longer compatible with substance use. Clean days for the sake of clean days is irrelevant. It's, and it, it's like good to distance yourself from whatever it is you're trying to get clean from, but like you better be working on yourself and making some behavioral modifications and changing your approach to life and changing your habits. Uh, otherwise, what, what have you done during that clean time? Maybe yeah. that's why uh, people, like therapists, hesitate to count clean time when people are incarcerated is because like, ah, it's kind of tough to make a case for how you've changed your life. I mean, it's not nothing. It's obviously you can get high while you're locked up. But I mean, uh, it, it's tough to count it towards like what, like with a like predictability for once a person's out. Well, think about it like this. I always say, if look at clean days not as consecutive, 
imagine that if they were like on a pie chart though, right? So it, uh, my clean time versus my using time. Because if I'm, let's say I'm in a drug court program, okay? And if I'm in like a drug court program and let's say I, I have to have nine months clean, right? How many days is that? Two seventy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So two hundred and seventy days clean, right? <laughs> we'll just round it up to three hundo. Okay. Yeah. So you have to have three hundred days clean prior to your graduation. Okay. So so let's uh, so let's say for example that a person comes in and gets two hundred and eighty five consecutive clean days right out of the gate, yeah. right? And has made long term changes in their life and all the rest of it, right? And, and you know whatever's going on. Okay. Great. But then let's say another person came in and for the first three months of their entire program, they were off the hook using like, you know, all kinds of problems. And and then they've had little, you know, random UAs here and there and gotten sanctioned for it, went to jail and came back. But now but now they're at their, you know, the nine month mark and everything. And so now I have this person who has 295 clean days and maybe had, you know, a drink of something, tested positive on that. So they have a sliver, a sliver of clean time that was interrupted where they, I have a dirty. Whereas the other person maybe have a third of their pie chart of using time. But because it's not on that day, the end the end day, now that person has 300 clean days and that other person has five clean days. That, to me, doesn't make a ton of sense there. Like, that's that's where I'm saying, I don't know about all that. Like, that's that's a weird measure of progress that you've actually Well, it is. There. Yeah, like if you took two people, okay, go for a year and see how you do. Mm-hmm. And then one guy... For 360 days, he's clean and then used. And you're like, oh, you've only got four clean days? But the other and dude the other has... Guy used yeah. for the first 300. You're like, yeah. oh, dude, you got 60 days clean? Good you're job. All, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Yeah, that is a weird measure. It doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. Pretty so, demoralizing, too. So I don't, I don't think... I think that, like, giving... Reframing those things for is really important but more i think for therapists like that's how you reframe resistance resistance is a signal for you the therapist to change your approach it's not a signal to amp up your resistance back to them because how you respond will will influence whether or not resistance increases or diminishes so when you respond in that way justin that's like really important because they're not i don't think the clients are nearly apt to you know i, I take the wind out of their sails almost immediately yeah. and they're much less likely to kind of you know re-engage well, yeah, because how do you keep point. going with that like yeah i'm kind of agreeing with you in so in some ways like yeah that's got to suck. Well, like, oh, yeah. Uh, well, well what you say? Yeah, you're yeah. right. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Right. yeah. And I think it just humanizes the situation, too. Like, you're not just this robot that's like, no, treatment, you absolutely need it. Because mm-hmm. they're just going to shut down. Like, when you make it real, like, I, that's usually what I try to do. I try to say, like, yeah, man, if I was in that situation, I think that would kind of suck. Dude, that's a lot of money to spend, and that's got to be really hard to go and talk about that. So, And then you kind of highlight, like, yeah, it sounds like, you do want to have a lot of control of your situation. You don't want to lose your money. So, yeah, let's brainstorm a way to get you through this thing then so you can be done with it. Now, all of a sudden, you're like an assistant yeah, to the yeah. client. I well, kind of like how you were saying yeah. it's, it's more, I look at it as more like not necessarily you and them against treatment, but it's like you and them together to get through treatment, yeah. like to make it happen. It's, it's like a subtle shift in the way you look at things, but it, it can be the difference between like actually doing our job and providing therapy versus engaging in a tug of war with oh, the yeah. client. You that's know, all that is. Both of you digging your heels in and 
Yeah, it's like a battle of wits. Well, when I look at I'll it, I'll lose that, that one most I, of the time. Well, and I feel like that doesn't really end well either for anybody because, like, I can get in that tug of war battle, and then I, I feel like, gen, you know, generally two things are going to happen. They're either just going to get sick of the tug of war and realize they need to get through this for their for it just to be done. So they're going to say what they think you want to hear, yeah, which isn't terribly beneficial, or they're just going to shut down and be like, "Yep, screw this, I'm not going in anymore." And that's <laughs> you're not serving your client. At that point, if your client's a priority, you're not really... I don't feel like you're helping them either way. The first one you said, I think, happens a lot. Oh, yeah. Where where they'll, you know, so-called air quotes, tell us what we want to hear. Yes, I did it. It was my fault. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, like, it it feels nice when clients do that, maybe. But, like, what are they they really getting from it? What's the end goal? Yeah, like... How, how, How do you guys deal with clients that... So, I mean, I think we tackled one of the areas of exploring resistance, but how do you guys deal with it when a client will say, I'm not like those other dudes. I'm not like them. I can't get anything out of a group. Like, what's your, like, I kind of have my thing, but what do y'all do? Um, so when they, when they say like, I'm not like those other guys. Yeah. And yeah. So I shouldn't be here in treatment because I'm not like those other people. Mm-hmm. All that happened with, with my case was X, Y, and Z. I'm not fill in the blank with some atrocious sex offense. Yeah. So yeah, first, so first things first, I try to, I try to say, um, I, I really make sure I, I keep it separate from, I keep the behavior separate from the individual. And I try to say, okay, so I'll reframe it, right? I'll, I'll reflect this, but I say it in a different way. So I rephrase it. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so like if they're talking, so they say, I'm not a child molester. Okay, so I, I'd rather than referencing a specific person, I'll say, okay, so you don't like sexual abuse against children, obviously, right? Okay, yep, I don't like that. Good, keep not liking that. For the love of God, please keep not liking that. I'm glad that you don't like that um, because that's – I don't want you to ever start to you know appreciate those type of things. But at the same time, uh, and I try to teach them, well, look – so these guys are trying to move beyond that. So it's not it, – I, I don't think that – you know, I'm not categorizing you, and you're asking me not to categorize you by your behaviors, and I'd ask you to do the same thing to them. Don't categorize them by their behaviors. I understand that they made some personal choices that you strongly disagree with, and like I said, keep disagreeing with the behaviors that they that they did. I don't want you to agree with those behaviors. I want you to respect them as a person who made a bad decision and that now they're dealing with consequences trying to work through that. And the second piece I say is, well, that's awesome because you can offer a unique perspective that they've never had, that they can appreciate, that they can hear about some of these things that they may not have thought of because they have, you know, making sure that clients understand it made perfect sense to the person who did it when they did it. They didn't go crazy. They were making that decision rationally and it made sense to them when they committed their offense. So hearing it from another person's perspective who doesn't get that is helpful. It's helpful for them kind of giving some an alternative perspective to that where they can appreciate it. So I say that's that's good that you're in that group. You can you can do two things. You can learn from them and, and assist them as a person, but also they're going to be able to learn from you too. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. How do you handle it, Justin? Pretty similar to like your second point. I tend to based on like kind of their tone and how aggressive they're being about it. But I usually do the whole thing where I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of get that. You know, it's kind of tough to be in there with, you know, there's like a lot of labels and and stereotypes with a sex offender. So it's kind of hard to, yeah, I go to a sex offender group. I would probably feel the same way, you know. And then I do the thing that I kind of do when I'm I'm helping people work through a, a polygraph, like a failed polygraph. I don't say like, hey, you're lying. Tell me the truth because that's not really going to be productive. I just say, hey, you know, some people I've worked with before 
feel that way. They think this, like I'll say, yeah, I've had people that don't want to do the group thing before because they're kind of worried about that stigma. But I kind of think, you know, when we feel shameful about something we've done, it's kind of easy to point the finger at someone else and make, well, they're worse as a way to make myself feel better. You know, I think we all do that sometimes. So hypothetically, I'm not saying you do that, but like, let's just make it about you. You know, let's just work on you and you, you don't have to feel like you got to feel like there's always somebody worse because there always is, you know, if we want to, if we want to do that. But I think it's more about just working on your thing. And I think you'd be surprised if you get in there. Most of those people aren't the stereotype you think of. They all are people that, like you said, like that just made mistakes. And not only that, once you get in there, we're not really even going to talk about that. We're all just going to be talking about how we deal with life. Well, right. That's why I think uh, I'm not a, I mean, this is a good reason why we don't do introduction groups anymore, you know, where everybody goes around and the, it's such a weird thing you call that an introduction group. Yeah. yeah. So let me, let me, hi, I'm Mace. Let me tell you the worst thing Awful. I've ever done. Yeah. Wait to phrase. A disclosure. Well, what under what under what group. other life circumstance <clears throat> do you do that? Right, like None. you introduce yourself by telling them the worst thing that you've ever yeah. done. Like yeah. there's people have are are allowed to have privacy at times. I mean, yes, being and and the thing is, is I I try to tell c- clinicians just be patient. They'll get there because a lot of the interventions that we go through, you can't help but talk about some of those things. It's going to happen. But the first thing you need to do is develop the trust and the safety of the group and then let it organically happen that they talk about that rather than like force feeding it. Because sometimes what really irks me is when they talk about their offense and they have no emotional attachment to it whatsoever. Yeah, they're just they're numb to it. It's scripted. It's yeah. robotic. Well, a lot of times that scripted robotic disposition happens because that happens to be the 600th time they oh, yeah. provided their disclosure it's almost like they it, either it's just they've, they've said it so many times that it loses any emotional impact or maybe that's like sort of the mind space they have to go to, to you don't, yeah you don't want to from talking about yeah. yeah like i mean if i if i was think if i get thinking about like the things i'm most ashamed of like no way in hell would I want to talk about that as shortly after saying, Hey, my name's Jeff, you know? Yeah. yeah and the first and, time you did it, you'd probably be all like, it'd be nerve wracking. And then like the millionth time you did it, like, yep, here's what it is. And well, you know, and you're, you're like, you're, I think your, your brain's going to naturally do that. It's yeah, going to yeah. it, like, it's going to protect you from feeling that punch to the gut feeling that you get yeah. when you feel ashamed. And so naturally in talking about this, like, your own defense mechanisms are going to kick in and you're mm-hmm. not going to have that same visceral reaction that like, I don't know that that would even be helpful for the person to feel that punch in the gut each time. Oh, yeah. it, so it it's almost meaning. like, it's almost like stimulating your brain, but in a bad way right. such that it just, it starts to protect itself. Right. Because sure. right. yeah, if a client experiences a negative, like an uncomfortable emotion associated with that, that talking about that, like guilt, good, Please keep feeling that. Guilt is not a bad emotion. That is good to have guilt. That's going to help you want to modify your behavior again in the future. So never do I want to create a situation where that client doesn't experience guilt when they say what they did. You know what I mean? So if that means that we don't talk about it all the time, then that's what it means. You know, That's why I think it's good for clients not to go in there and just be talking about that nonsense all the time. Right. That's one thing I kind of tell clients too, and they ask about that, like, why don't we do disclosures? And I tell them that part, like we just talked about, and I'm like, and even on like a selfish side, I don't want to sit through a group where that's all we're talking about for <laughs> 90 minutes. Like, how demoralizing for everyone, like, if it's over and over and over and over. 
Yeah, I just don't see the value in that. Kind of used to be par for the course. Again, er, oh, yeah, early in this sure. podcast, I was talking about how I look back on the first few years of my career and like, what are they doing? You know, and well, I, you I think guess, you're doing the right thing. And, and the yeah. answer was, I was, you know, I was like doing what everyone else was in my field as well. You know, but yeah, that uh, I I had a group that I mean, we we called it disclosure group. And that was what we did. Every group yeah. is a new person would give their disclosure. And we had like, I feel like the way that we did it, like at least mitigated the client's possibility of experiencing shame to a degree. Uh, the, but I mean, I can't say that that happened exclusively. Yeah. You know, I'm like some people might have potentially left group less safe than when they went in. That sucks to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it it's uh well and. I, I think this is like when, I don't know, it's a, it's almost like where you try to help clinicians understand the p- the point of empathy and really putting a clinician on the spot and trying to help them, you know, because empathy, I think, is, it's a, it's a loosely used term in therapy, right, in therapy circles. But, I mean, you have to ask yourself, well, right. what, is it, what does it really mean? And one of the, the best way, and it was actually just like Webster's. <laughs> I mean, the, the dictionary just said it was like the capacity for participation in another person's feelings and ideas. Yeah. So the capacity for participation in another person's feelings and ideas. And I think that's a great definition because that, that's, not, that's not acknowledging that the other person is a good person or a bad person or, or any of that. It's just I just want to have the capacity for participation in their feelings and ideas. So I think... True empathy from a therapist would be, okay, can I ever get to a point to understand under what circumstances would it make sense to commit a sexual offense, right? In my own head, mm-hmm. could I make sense of that? Oh, I'd, I'd never do that. I'm like, okay, I'm not I'm not That's saying not you exercise. I'm not saying yeah. you would. would I'm not you? saying yeah. you would. I'm saying can you start to think about and and imagine what it what would have to be going on in your life and in your mind, what the thoughts would have to be in order for you to commit a sexual offense. I would never do that. <sighs> well, well, I don't think people are... Well, I, I, I think, think you would either. are scared to go there because they think that if they're able to do that, then they're somehow less somehow morally less than the fact that they can make their minds do that but i think the implication if if you can't imagine a circumstance in which uh you know under this series of events that i might do this that then you're then you're pathologizing sex offense to being something that's like more of like a like a sickness like a yeah. like an intractable disease yeah. you know and it's it, it's and it's not it's a series of messed up thoughts feelings and behaviors that persist over time in a series of patterns i mean i'm generalizing but for the most part it's 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 something that can be it can be uh changed and modified and undone and new patterns can be established and but you have to be able to at least go there in your mind to be able to see the patterns that led to it in the first place and so people that are saying that i can't go there in my mind or i well, it's, you can or you won't, or you're yeah. too intellectually lazy to challenge yourself to do so because you're going to be a better therapist when when you can do that. I think also you you I think they're concerned that if I get to that point, that I'm somehow like validating what they did. Right? Yeah, like it makes I'm it okay. All, right? Yeah. It's not that. It's saying, well, okay, given all of these maybe cognitive distortions we're going on, or dysfunctional ways of living 
or lack of social skills or anything else that was going on, um, it made sense to you at the time for this to happen. And so, yeah, let's modify those things in your life and in your thinking and in your behaviors so those things don't happen anymore. I mean, that's, that's really all we're trying to get to. But if I can't just accept the fact that this sane person made a decision to commit a sexual offense and try to have a little bit of empathy for understanding how did we get to that point, not, not validating it and not saying it's a good thing, just trying to understand that, well, yeah, at one point or another, that, got, that guy made a rational decision to do this, and he made sense of it. And I'm going to do my best to try to make sense of it coming from his perspective so I can help him. Like that's, that's the whole point of understanding it, right? That, that's actually what helps me. I, I, having empathy for our clients is what actually helps me deal with resistance. Because, again, how often do you guys hear clients say things like, oh, it was a one-time deal. It'll never mm-hmm. happen again. Like, like I, I'd be saying the same thing. No, yeah. And I wouldn't want to come into treatment either. I wouldn't want to talk to one of you clowns for 18 yeah. months and give you my money. You know, yeah. And, uh, well, yeah, and who's going to come in and be like, yep, probably, <laughs> probably will happen again. That could well, for sure happen again. Yeah, no even, if they do say, even if they do say it's not ever going to happen again. Are they lying? No. Like if I'm telling, no, if I'm telling you, that. Jeff, this is never going to happen again, I'll bet that person in that moment believes right. that. The problem is, though, is they're not recognizing that it wasn't just a decision. The buildup to Right. It. There was yeah. multiple factors in their control right. and outside of their control and sometimes how they responded to those things that were outside of their control that led to that offense. It's not, I'm not going to sexually offend. Okay, well, nobody nobody starts off life, you know, when they're five years old and they're like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Sex, Sex offender. offender. You know, like <laughs> well, nobody had, does that. Have you had those moments with a client where, and, and again, this does, definitely doesn't excuse what they did, but have you ever had those moments where you're exploring somebody's background they're talking about it, and in your head you're like, Dude, holy hell! No wonder you ended up with this sex. This offense. is a, like, this job such a perspective changer, oh, dude. Yeah. Like, man, I had it easy. You just see what people go through, and yeah. yeah, and obviously not everybody chooses to end up going with a sex offense. They might go another route, or they might end up dealing with it in a healthy way, or whatever. But sometimes I see that I'm just like, man, no wonder. And, it, and what makes me even more sad is sometimes as you start to connect those dots for me, and you point that out, like, dude, think about all the stuff you went through. Like, no wonder, and you can see they're like, what? Well, what do you mean? What are you talking about, like, dude? What the stuff you've been through is insane. Like, yeah. How do you? How else would you have coped with that? Like, again, we got we got to own your decisions. Let's make different decisions moving forward. It was your choice in a lot of ways, but well, there were probably a lot of things that happened to you that you did not deserve. That's that well, that's right. exactly yeah. so. Like those type of circumstances, I think that's where uh, managing resistance is very helpful mm-hmm. because if I'm able to highlight to a client that, like, look, okay, you especially bad things that happened to them that they had no part in, right? They did have a part to play when they responded to those bad things in really mm-hmm. shitty ways. And so that's something that we can do. But, I mean, empathy for the client, all that's saying is I'm just an accept and understand their perspective. And and w- neutrally, without judging them. Right. That's all I'm going to try to do. And neutrality is key because that it, does not, it doesn't necessarily mean approval or agreement. So I have to stay neutral. You've got to be careful with that. I think because it's so weird, they think it's a approval mm-hmm. or agreement. What's but, weird? Just showing empathy for their position. Oh, right. Well, I yeah. think there's that. I think this is based back in what Jeff was talking about, like with the disclosure thing. I think it's based in these really old thoughts of if a client talks about his his past, and then I'm like, oh man, yeah, that's awful. Then I'm opening the door for him to do it again because I haven't just like totally shut him down. I was like, You're no, right. it's totally your fault. So I think the fear is if I don't just totally shut down his decision and and not make it okay, 
in some ways because of what happened to him. Well, then now he's going to hear, oh, yeah, I can go do it again. So when work's stressful, I can go out and I can offend, which isn't the case. But right. I think there's that fear. If, if we don't constantly pretty... talk about cycles and what they've done and we don't beat it into their head, they're just going to forget about it and they'll do it again. That's, that's, a, that, that's the type of fear that's pretty primitive and isn't really based in like the big picture yeah. view of what think we're doing. Deep down, like my knee-jerk reaction, I still have that fear when I'm working with clients. But by now, I just know it's like, yeah, that's junk. Like, well, it falls into the same category of like, oh, now don't do drugs. It's like, no shit. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, like, of yeah. Course, okay. Oh, all right. Good just idea. Stop. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like actually bothering to spend some time to get to know uh, what what happened. Well, I mean. It, it helped them understand yeah, what happened, gonna, too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, yeah. Like they, a lot of these dudes have never even had this conversation with anybody, at least not in to the point w- to where they could talk about it with having to constantly be on guard. So I think just by being allowed to voice that stuff, they're figuring things out on their own. Then, then if they just sat with their thoughts to themselves, trying to figure out how they got into this mess. Well, yeah. I think that's where that's where if you start to challenge resistance, uh, a big thing that I like about that is we're just upfront about that, and we start to think about like. Okay, let's 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 talk about and let's let's be open and honest about the reasons why people want to resist and some of the some of the thoughts that are associated with those things and then what are the feelings that are associated with that. And I think the next piece there is okay. So so let's just let's just play this out. Like you're you're feeling this way and I think you have a good reason to feel this way. Um and you're thinking this way and obviously there's good reasons for you thinking that way too. But let's let's play that out. If six months from now, if you continue to think this way and feel this way, where are you going to be, right? And then I think asking the client, okay, six months from now, where do you want to be, right? I mean, if if do you want to be out of this program? Do you want to be here? Do you want to be there? Where, where do you want to? What what do you want? Ideally, if all this shit was behind you, you were able to complete. What do you want to be doing? Okay. Now let's say you maintain this attitude. How does that factor into that? Okay. So now now they see okay. Well, that's probably not going to work out. Okay, then how do we solve this problem? How do you and I get to a point where we can move you to where you – because I, I agree. I want you to be there. I want you to be – if they're saying, I want to be out of here and with my family. I want you to be there too. How do, how do, we, get, how do we get you there? Mm-hmm. Because the way, this, this approach isn't going to work. Um, so how do you and I get to that point? Again, I'm aligning with them, and I'm acknowledging their resistance is normal. I'm just validating that and then moving them forward. Like that's all I'm trying to do. That's so simple. Like I mean, what, so what you're talking about is a, it's. I don't know. If I want to make it more sound more complicated than it is. I mean, you're, that, that's like standard motivational interviewing stuff, and the way that you just talked about it is pretty silky smooth. Uh, it, it it it's like what you just said. It sounds simple, and, but and and it is simple. It is simple, you know. But like to be able, like it's it's a degree of finesse in getting your client to switch their whole mindset and what they're approaching treatment with to because now all of a sudden you're asking them to focus on the future and you're asking them to name their own goal, which then they then do. And then you're aligning with them on that goal and then asking them what they need to change to get there. And so like they, they taught themselves through the resistance themselves. You're just sort of along for the ride, really. Uh-huh. You know, that's it. So again, it, it the, the way you just described it, it sounds almost like, well, no kidding. Well, the, but, but, yeah, but it is. But the trick there is, and this is the biggest. This, this is the biggest point is, you you just can't. I mean, don't personalize what that person's saying, even if they make a personal attack towards you. Again, if I'm just understanding empathy, and I'm trying to like take their perspective, if if they genuinely don't want to be there, but they feel forced to be there, 
um, and they're a little upset with it, just appreciate the fact that they're being honest. So if you can pause for one second and just not take offense to what this person's saying in front of you and think about how disrespectful. Don't they know I went to school to get my master's degree? Like, dude, nobody gives a shit, first of all, okay? <laughs> Secondly, just say, okay, if my goal is I want this guy to work through this, okay, what's my next step? What am I going to do here? And yeah, I mean, all it is is just have some thick skin. Like, don't take offense to those things. Like, it's so silly to take offense to that. And now I'm going to turn it into a pissing contest with this client. Trust me, if you're in a if you're a position authority, you're going to win. You're going to win because you're going to be able to get them violated or get them put back or thrown out of the building or whatever it is that you're going to do. But all that's going to do now is create a person who who's who's going to do one of two things. They're either going to like now be coercive towards the next person they talk to to realize, "Okay, now I can't be honest about how I'm yeah. feeling." So I'm going to tell them exactly what they want to hear and just BS my time through this, right? Or a person who's just going to not engage in treatment whatsoever and say, I'd rather just do time than do treatment, right? And neither of those are good options. Neither of those are good options for well, our Especially clients. if your goal is helping your client. Exactly. You've done nothing to help your client at that point. Right. You made things a lot worse. Right, exactly. Uh, I know that both of you guys have met other therapists in this field or even other people that maybe work on the law enforcement side that talk a lot about, you know, sex offenders are always lying and always manipulating. And, you know, again, like a lot of, a lot of the circumstances that go into creating a sex offense involve deception and secrecy, like for sure. But it, it kind of makes you wonder though, if like by the time we get to a client and after they've been through the court system and they've been through all these different, uh, you know, maybe other programs or, you know, they've dealt with incarceration. If like, a, if it's kind of like an iatrogenic thing, if like we create the problems, if the cure causes the symptom, if the way that we approach therapy when we're not having the approach we're currently championing, if, if we're like further driving dishonesty because mm -hmm. of, you know, because of the message we're sending clients, if, if, if we're allowing them a real narrow range of acceptable responses and a real scripted dialogue of what they're actually able to talk about or not talk about and hammering them with the, the, the wrath of the legal system, if they step outside these prescribed boundaries, like, yeah, they're going to learn to lie. No, yeah. They're going to learn to manipulate. Well, that's the thing is, who wouldn't? Like, it's no shit. It's yeah, like with, survival, dude. Well, with, with sex offense, there, as soon as the word sex is in there, like for me, like logic and everything just goes out the window and people think in all these different ways. Like I think of just the analogy you were using. Like Let's just say it's a, it's a husband and a wife that are struggling with arguing. And then they, they have couples counseling. Then they also see him separately, individually. But every time the guy goes in, his therapist just, like, beats his ass over it, like, tells him <laughs> how he's wrong. And that the guy's not going to want to go? No. Ever. Right. Ever. Yeah, no. But if sometimes in the session he points out, oh, yeah, that's got to be really hard. Yeah, that's going to be really frustrating. Your wife says that. Or, wow, that's got to be hard to feel that way. Well, what can we do to improve it? Hey, he's going to want to go in. He's going to feel like, wow, this guy's actually trying to help me. He's not just yelling at me and telling me what I'm doing wrong. And, yeah, it's like, but for some reason when you put – sex in front of that and it's like nope you gotta kick their ass you gotta, gotta like, change everything yeah, we're doing yeah. no you don't throw you really out don't. basic human uh, interaction and, uh, <laughs> yeah. well i i mean the thing is is you can be strategic about it and think about it like 
as I'm engaging this person in, in like a battle, you can still do that. But rather than like, okay, rather than we're going to do, you know, a fist fight, turn this into like more like psychological judo. So I'm just going to, I'm going to take, you know, what you're, the momentum of what you're saying and use that to kind of move you forward as far as these things are going. Like, that's great. A person comes in and says, I don't know, it's bullshit. I don't want to be here. Awesome. What do we got to do to not have you be here? Like, that's a great, I mean, that's, that's not hard. That's not, once you learn a couple of those little things and I, and I mean, You'd be surprised about just telling somebody, like, you'd be surprised about telling somebody just, you know, hey, I really appreciate you being honest with me. Like, that, that's really important that you can say those things to be honest with me. And that's it. They really love hearing that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then you move forward. Just a couple little tricks like that. And I've, I've really never had a problem with it. I have, I have two clients that I work with right now that, I mean, they were, they, man, they were just, and like, really difficult to work with at first. And uh, I just didn't feed into it. And then, you know, like two months later, they like love me. And, you know, it's just we're not we're making good progress. And it has nothing to do with, and, you know, they wouldn't ever credit what I was doing and they didn't need to know. And, I, and that need, they don't didn't need, need to. That didn't yeah. need to happen. Right. I don't need to be credited because I was just kind of using what was happening with them to assist them with doing it. And now they think, you know, they got to the point where, okay, this is working and, and I'm the one who took care of them. I'm like, okay, yeah, they, that's fine well, too. And they, they decided that you're okay. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, but you allowed for that to happen. Yeah. That I'm not. That I'm not going to be the one to, you know, like uh, attack them over yeah, it. Yeah. Just fight them the entire time because that's what they expect. And honestly, when you're working with felons, they're better at it. They're way better <laughs> at it. I mean, you uh, can't, you can't, those things are not, it's not going to happen. So well, I, le- yeah, I learned early on like, not to get into the, like the debate thing, like Jeff was saying, like playing like devil's advocate because they'll, they'll, They'll punch holes in that all day. And then at the end of the session, nothing happened, and you're just, like, pissed off. Like, <laughs> well, think about it this way. Well, that won't work because of this. Yeah, but this. Well, yeah, but this. It's like, they'll do that forever. <laughs> like, well, yeah, yeah but. Exactly. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. And then at the end of the like, okay, we'll see you next week. I know like, that because I do that. Yeah. Like, when I'm, if, I, if I'm conflicted about something and someone's trying to talk me into doing something, I'm, yeah. I, I just naturally push back, even if I don't agree with what I'm saying. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah and that's probably the exact mindset of why they made a lot of the choices that they did. So yeah. all of a sudden, just trying to combat them with the same method isn't going to go anywhere. Do you right? know where am I to like, work really well, this kind of re- like this resistance stuff? Exactly. Like if you're doing like selling timeshares and shit. Remember when we were down in Mexico? <laughs> yeah. and they were trying to oh, <laughs> sell God. us timeshares. <laughs> it started to just be funny after a while. Dude, but they remember... Remember they just brought out the That's big guns and that one is. guy that one yeah. guy told us that he fought GSP and I'm yeah. like no you haven't <laughs> and then he like tried to strong arm us and the- that was the weirdest they, they 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 started out with the the beautiful bikini clad girls with the mimosas and then ended with the Kyoshikushin karate master that fought GSP like like <laughs> these very all- series of salesmen that had their different tactics that was my favorite part about that too was like <laughs> I love it when um. I love it when we're walking out, we're like leaving and they had to sign this thing and like this lady just totally innocuously, she's like, oh, how's your day? It's like, oh, it was really nice. Like there was a, this is a good meal, you know, it took a little too long to get through this. And so it's beautiful here, huh? Yeah. And we said, yeah, it is. It's a nice place. <laughs> and she turns the paper over. She goes, for five ninety nine. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, laughing. <laughs> Remember they kept drawing boxes too? And yeah. put the numbers in the boxes were all, what is that? Is that a strategy? <laughs> that, that price seemed a little high, but now that you drew a box around it, that seems pretty reasonable. Yeah. Huh? That, Dude, that reminds me of what we were like when we were like 20 when uh, 
our friends were Aaron and we're getting into that. Was it Equinox was the name of it? The pyramid scheme <laughs> thing? Like Am- yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we went down because we thought it was funny. So we're like, he's like, yeah, we gotta go. <laughs> we have to do this meeting. Let's go down there, and we were just gonna make fun of it. Wasn't it for like but, selling water filters or all kinds of stuff? It was basically another version of Amway. Oh. But uh, yeah, so we go down and we're like making fun of this meeting, dude. It was. Like <laughs> Then they try to get you to sign up, like to be an employee or whatever. They didn't even like hesitate. Like right at the end, they're like, "Okay, everyone this way." And they're like herding you into this room, and then some dude was like barely older than me, he's like twenty five. He's like, "Okay, you just gotta fill out these tax forms." And I'm like, "What?" I'm like, I didn't say yes or anything. He's all, "Well, we can talk about that later." Yeah, just put your social down here. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> "We can talk about that later." I'm like, put your social he, "Well, down. he was horrible at it. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. He was just like dodging everything I've said." Like, remember. Me and Victor and somebody else were in there. We're like, kept laughing at the guy, but he's being dead serious. He's like, "No, this is a good opportunity. Just fill this form out." I'm, like, I'm not gonna fill out a tax form. What the hell is going on here? Yeah. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, no, that's <laughs> odd, dude. Those, yeah, I was. That. What were you saying about why? Why did you bring that up? The timeshare thing? Because I said if you were using like rolling with with resistance, you might have a little bit better, oh, right. better, uh, yeah, better chances of selling. <laughs> yeah, as that opposed thing. to just trying to ram it through. Yeah, like that. That's what made me laugh. The dude like, wouldn't listen to one thing I said. I'm like, no, I don't really want to do this. So I'm just here because my friend's like, well, just yeah, just fill this just out, fill this form out. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Would that work with treatment? You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like yeah, just do it though. Yeah, just yeah. do it. Yeah, just do the yeah. assignment. Though. No, that's well. So I guess. Uh, in summary there, um, if we want to wrap up on this, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess the idea there is, um, I mean, as far as we're teaching clients there, it's, I think, it, and, and this is also good, like, you know, it, don't, don't run from that resistance. I mean, I try to embrace that, try to embrace the fact that that person is being genuine enough with you that they're saying those things and and take that for what it is and and realize just i mean just be patient yeah i i, I don't disagree that six months from now if, if homeboy's still maintaining that attitude he's probably not going to be super successful okay well that's in anything you know if i get into a job and i'm like oh yeah this sucks and i keep that attitude for six <laughs> i'm probably going to bounce after six months right i'm saying it, you need to make sure that uh I'm I'm just all I'm doing is generating a therapeutic alliance with them. I'm aligning with them against the issue of what's going on, which is we need to help you move through some of these things because, you know, that's what we're trying to accomplish here. And fighting back against them isn't going to be good. So well, yeah. If you if you expect people to come in, feel the right way, think the right way, and behave the right way, why do we have jobs then? Like, yeah, exactly. Why are we even here? Yeah, yeah we're yeah, here to jobs work with to that help kind them of with thing. That. Yeah, that's, that's actually point. a really good point. Yeah, why have a therapist then? Yeah. Why not just be like, "Yep, never going to do it again. I'll sign here. Thanks." Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've yeah, I've, I think that's that's like a really good job job there too. Really, is if yeah. you're like, yeah. I mean, if if that person comes into treatment and is it a perfect angel while they're in treatement, why right. the they're, hell are they, they in treatment? treatment. Yeah. yeah. And if your client's resistant, do your job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why you're there. <laughs> you know, it yeah, seems so counterintuitive because yeah. it's like, well, he's misbehaving, so why should he move to the front of the line? Because he's misbehaving. He needs it more than anybody. Yeah. And as long as I'm not going to take offense to that, well, then you're good. You should be working with that dudes. The dudes who are doing everything they should and are going to do well anyway, maybe intuitively they're getting there all on their own. Like, yeah, that's a cakewalk in therapy. That dude's going to be awesome. But, man, that's not any fun. That's not rewarding. <laughs> like, every week you're like, oh, hey, Jim, doing really well How's again. Your week is like, good. <laughs> that falls in line with the R&R model anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. The rest and recuperation model. Yeah, the rest and recuperation. Exactly. 
that's but yeah, awesome. that, and that's not to say like as we're talking about, it, that's not to say some of those clients can't be frustrating as hell. Oh yeah, yeah they can for be sure. But you can certainly make it less frustrating by how you respond to them. Right. Yeah, I've definitely I have still to this day. Sometimes it just gets to me a little bit. Like maybe I don't. I try to not show it and try to recognize what's going on and kind of check myself. But yeah, it can be frustrating. But yeah. it can definitely be less frustrating. Right. Yeah. Well, so, so yeah, let's wrap this up, and then uh, so next next week, uh, it looks like what what are we talking about next week? I don't know. Uh, it's all. I think uh, module I think, one. Are we? No, nah, yeah. Hodgepodge. Kinda, kinda, I think one of the things we were going to talk about is a cost benefit analysis. We could talk about our time when we went to that strip club. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or no, we didn't go to that we strip didn't club. Go. I was like, yeah, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah we, it's we, a cool we story. We didn't go because <laughs> of a therapy concept. I love yeah. the one time we didn't go to a strip club. <laughs> yeah. just like you go, you go like, all the just time. Constantly, <laughs> we're at one right now. <laughs> that one time we live didn't. from what's the name of the strip club? I don't know. It was oh, it was like Jack's Bar and Grill, but there was no was bar and no grill, and there was just a bunch of. There was just Jack. Hooligans. Yeah. Without clothes. Jack was there. Jack was there. <laughs> the Jack Russell Terrier there. outfits gone. Yeah, there was a Jack Russell Terrier there. He wraps all together. Yeah. He's pressing you. <laughs> all right. Well, it's cl- I'm glad to be back, folks. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. All righty, folks. That does it for episode 28 of the Gorilla Social Work Podcast. It's good to have you back. It's good to be back. Uh, tune in whenever the next episode is going to be. I don't know when we're doing that exactly, but it definitely will not be four months later. So we're going to be talking about the cost-benefit analysis. In the meantime, uh, make sure you share the podcast with your friends on your preferred social media network, website, whatever you want to call it. And if you check us out, it's G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A. Is that right? Yes. Gorilla Social Work Podcast. Find us online. Send us questions. Send us threats, whatever you got to do. But we will be back on the next episode. See you then.